Today's message is entitled, Measure Up and Weigh In. Measure Up and Weigh In. Hold on. At the bottom of it, it says, Mess Up and Win. So I kind of combined, like, look at Measure Up, like Measure Up is Mess Up, Measure Up, Mess Up and Weigh In and Win. Mess Up and Win. So measuring up and weighing in is messing up and winning, okay? Messing up and winning. So let's look at this a little further. Um, This is going to be a sermon uh, that we talk about measuring. We talk about scales. We talk about analytics. We're going to talk a little bit about data. We're going to talk about how you evaluate and and measure things. I called one of my good friends yesterday to ask him about what happens when the trucks are on the road and they have to get weighed on the scale. And he told me that, you know, there are a couple of checkpoints where they check your truck for weight. uh, And if you're overweight, you cannot proceed because there may be some roads that can't handle the weight you're carrying. Let me just say this as an aside. This just came to me. Uh, But there are some people and places you're trying to go that you're too heavy for, that you carry too much weight in your life spiritually, that where you're trying to get to, you shouldn't be going because your weight will crush the people you're trying to be involved with. And so these checkpoints, that's what this message is about, weighing in, measuring in. These checkpoints keep you from destroying things that should not be destroyed and teach you and tell you when and how to correct stuff that needs to be corrected. Now, in the old days, weight determined value. That we used to sell things, things were sold based on the weight of something. So we talked about like the weight of gold or the weight of even sometimes now you go to the store, um, you know, they weigh the item and the, the item, the weight of the item tells you the price. So watch this now. Proper weighing determines proper profit. I don't miss this now. So when I allow my family business or my franchise to be evaluated or measured or weighed when it's properly weighed when I give God the freedom to weigh me when I do proper measurement on my life I set myself up for proper profiting so in other words when God puts you on the scale he determines your value by the weight Ah, you're gonna miss it So the message, the title is Measure Up and Weigh In because I told you before, God is in the business of profit. He is a for-profit business. He wants to profit souls. He wants to bring people into the kingdom. Now, we measure something. Listen, when you pull out a measurement, when you pull out a tab or a ruler, You're measuring something against a standard to see if it matches. 
So let's measure this. We put this on the scale and we want to put this on the scale and we kind of see, well, where does it measure? You've gone to the doctor's office and you've been on one of those scales where it's got the weight thing, the weight on it. Yeah, it's a weight. And you step on the scale and they keep tipping it and say, yep, that night. And they keep tipping it and you be like, hold on, doc, stop moving the mate, Stop moving the weight, doc. And they keep moving it and say, no, you ain't at 120. You had 189. Now, boy, you you too fat. Yeah. So so look, you you know then that weight and scales help to determine to give information that help us decide about how to move forward. And so if you're overweight, what will your doctor say? Your doctor will say you have too much mass. You have too much weight for your body size. So you need to make a correction. So they say eat more salads, drink more water, run 30 minutes or exercise at least 30 to 45 minutes a day. All right. So listen to me carefully. Listen, listen, preachy. Blessing comes with balance or measuring. That's why some people don't like to go to the doctor. I know I don't because they're going to find something. And when they find something, they're going to tell me something that needs to be corrected. We don't like to be corrected. So we don't measure. We don't check. We don't. If you don't step on the scale, you don't know how big you are, right? If you don't go into to see how much how high is your cholesterol, you don't know how high your cholesterol is. So you keep eating. Many of us continue the lifestyle we're living in because we don't have any checkpoints. We haven't put scales in our house to weigh us. We haven't put measurement tools to help us understand that a change is needed. Is anybody tracking where I'm coming from? So proper measuring determines balance or rightness. You get what I'm saying? So when it's measured, when it's balanced rightly, when they keep moving that, that, that you at the doctor's office again, here you go, Joy. You at the doctor's office, you put that little weight there. Once it stops, once it stops teetering, then it levels out. That means the weighing is right. It's balanced. And remember, I talked about last week the straight line, the plumb line is the balance of your life. It's no more the hickety rickety, the up and the down, the roller coaster life, but your life comes into about anybody getting seasick when I'm doing this right here. You're making it. So when your life comes in the balance, your life comes in the balance by proper measuring. Somebody say, measure me, Lord. Proper measuring determines the balance or the rightness in your life. You will not get right if you don't allow critique. Oh, I'm going to say that again. I'm going to have to ask Barack Obama. Barack Obama, (laughs) can I say that again? Let me say that again. If you don't allow people to critique you, you will not be able to learn what is wrong to make the corrections. And you'll see this in just a moment. I'll help you. So when things are equal on both sides, that is just this. Ah, there it is. When things are equal on both sides, you get justice. But there are too many who weigh heavy on the just part and heavy on the ice part, and it's out of balance. So the value or the quality of a thing was often determined by measuring the weight. How much do you weigh? I'm not talking about physically. I'm not talking about body mass at this point. Lori, I'm talking about spiritually, how much do you weigh? Does not the Bible say, be not, watch this, unequally yoked with unbelievers? In other words, don't be caught up or shackled 
with people that cannot balance you out. Eh, God, I'm preaching already. What is happening, Cynthia? Listen, so we make these choices. We pick jobs that are beneath us. We pick friends that are beneath us. And why? Why don't we pick peers or things that are at our level because we're intimidated by them? We like to pick things that we can control. We like to pick things that we can be subservient to. Listen, some people like to pick strong heads because they like being the passive person because that way they can avoid making choices in their life. So they marry a partner who's type A, who's going to make all the tough decisions in their life, and they hide behind the strong person. Instead of marrying someone who you can partner with, who brings equality, and your choices become a partnership, your life becomes a partnership. I was looking at Joy yesterday, and she was sitting on the couch, and she didn't know it. And this thought came to my mind. I said, I have chosen this woman to live the rest of my life with, to take her everywhere I go. Whatever I do, she's involved. This one person out of over 8 billion people in the world, I have selected to be in every aspect of my life permanently for the rest of my life. Wow. You got to be tough. You got to be something for for somebody to say, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Are you getting the gravity of that? I had to weigh her. I had to measure her. She has to weigh me. She has to measure me. And we're still measuring because sometimes the scales get off and then we need to bring it into balance. It's called recalibration. And so some of you need to go to marriage therapy and all that to recalibrate. You need to go on a retreat or take a vacation, go on a date again. All that is is recalibrate it. Buy her a new dress for $1,000. Don't buy her a cheap one because it ain't going to recalibrate her. If you get an expensive one, it'll recalibrate. Never mind. Let me move on. So what I'm trying, Danielle, what I'm trying to say is that we are merchants and our scales must be exact. We are franchises and we have scales and we go into business in the world. We mustn't take advantage of the people we serve. So when we set up shop in the world as gospel presenters, as we send this product around the world, your scale must be exact. Your scale must be fair. You wouldn't like it if you went in the store and you put something on the scale and their scale was rigged to charge you more than what you should be paying. Don't you charge people more for the gospel than what they should be paying. There's no service they need to give to you. There's no homage or obeyance they need to give to you. All of that goes to God. You're just the deliverer. Just because you carry the gospel doesn't mean you become a celebrity. Stop putting people in that box and making them reverence you rather than God. That's a whole nother sermon. I don't have time for that, Terry. But if we offer something to people, they must have our confidence that we've offered it in the way that God intended it to be offered. We are not perfect and we often make mistakes. In other words, sometimes you present something and your scale is a little rickety. Well, once you see it's off, once the customer comes back and says, you hurt me, you offended me, Your scales were jacked up. Fix your scale. That's all I'm saying. 
I'm not saying get prideful and act like you can't, you can't correct, you can't apologize or make a mistake. Stop it. You can make a mistake. All are imperfect. We'll see that in a moment. So listen, when you make a mistake, when you offend somebody, apologize because the scales don't lie. You get what I'm saying? In other words, you can try to hide it. You can do whatever you want. That person will be able to perceive that they were ripped off. You know why? Because God's going to tell them and they're going to come back to you and say, you ripped me off. You need to be able to own it. Now, in other words, the truth will reveal itself. That's all I'm trying to tell you. And when it does, correct it in fairness. So what am I saying, you guys? I'm saying that the scales have a truth element to them. Oh, you're going to miss it. I, listen, stop trying to be the bearer of truth from the standpoint that you measure and monitor truth. We're not asking you to measure and monitor the truth. We're asking you to be tools that facilitate the truth. The scales reveal the truth. The measuring reveal the truth. What you need to do is put the scales and the measurement tools in place. My God, I'm preaching. Tony, are you getting this? Listen, so haven't you ever felt like I've been to the, the you know, you've been to one of those cafeterias where you know they got the salad bar and you know you put you put a you put a salad on it but if, let me tell you something you be you scared to put the big tomato on there or you don't want to put no fruit on there because fruit gonna make it way more and when you put fruit so you try to put as much lettuce on that plate you be trying to put a you be trying to put a mud digging a hell digging a hell you put a you put a mud lettuce on there you listen certain type of lettuce too you might get that arugula that arugula might be way a little more that that romaine might weigh a little more than the iceberg you, you be trying to, and then you put them little croutons on oh, croutons they light you you pick all the stuff that's light isn't there a parallel and then you go to the scale and then they put up their 13 dollars and 42 cents for a salad dang you know what i'm saying so listen that's what we do sometimes we're afraid of the scale don't be afraid of the scale. God, I'm going to stay there for a minute. Ah, I feel your Holy Spirit. Ah, I feel his Holy Spirit. I feel it right now. God, he just tapped me on the shoulder. Ah, hallelujah. Ah, God, I feel him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for that deposit. Thank you for that deposit. God said, don't be afraid of the scale. Don't be afraid of the scale. God is in charge of the scale. He's in charge of the measuring of your life. That's why I'm not asking you to put your hand, yourself in the hands of your husband or your peers. They can't weigh you. They can't measure you. The truth and the power of the measurer is in the scale. God is in charge of the scale. If you read Proverbs, it talks about God weighs the scale. He balances the scales of life. And the Holy Ghost just told me, Lisa, he said, don't be afraid of the scale. Ooh, that was a good one. I felt that one. Thank you, Jesus. You dropped that one on me. That's exactly what God is talking about. He's talking about adjusting the scales of life to rip people off of sin. If it, it, rip, it, it listen, if 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 you adjust your scale and it's corrupt, then you rob people. That's a sin. You must listen. My point is, if you don't check your life. You're living your life not knowing you need correction, which means your scales are off balance. So when you're in that relationship and you offend and hurt people, you're actually sinning. You're living a life of sin because you won't check yourself before you wreck yourself. Help me there. Uh, what's his name? You know, uh, so anyway, I can't remember. So listen, the point of measuring and evaluating is not for success. Come on, watch this, Dolores. 
The point of measuring and evaluating is not for success, but it is to avoid greed and harm to others. Listen, I evaluate and I check myself and I measure myself so that I can make sure my scales are good so that I don't live my life hurting my wife, hurting my children, hurting my coworkers, hurting my neighbors. I must get before the word. I must do my due diligence at praying, meditating, Bible studying, making sure I check myself, going to counseling, whatever it is you do to get yourself right so that my scales are well. Is anybody tracking? Just let me know if you're tracking. But there's more to measuring. So let's go a little deeper. Let me move on in this scenario. Let me move on in this scenario. So why measure? Why weigh? Why do we measure? The importance, we want to make sure that we have the importance of reporting. So listen, in business, we talk about these things called KPIs. They're called KPIs, and KPI stands for Key Performance Indicators, that you set things up in your life that are performance indicators. In other words, they let you know how you're performing. That's all it is. You put things in your life to help you know how you're performing. That's what a mentor is. That's what an accountability partner is. That's what a scale is. When you know that you got a record, you shouldn't go past 120 and you're over at 130, your scale is a KPI. It is a performance indicator that you're not doing well. You need to exercise. So, Establish measuring processes in your life to provide evaluation. These things apply reports. They give statistics. They give data for you to make the changes you need. Make sure you have reporting tools in place. In other words, a good partner, a good parent, a mother or a father, maybe a good boss. When when they evaluate you, sometimes your boss will take a personal interest in your career and they will look at you and give you good advice in your one-on-ones. God puts these people, a pastor could be a KPI, it could be someone, a tool that's placed in your life to help you know when you're off base. Did you reach your goal? Are you within your budget? That's what I'm saying to the six people who gave their reports. I want to look at your report. That's all it is, reporting. I'm getting data so I know how to help you. When you get data, when you measure, when you evaluate, God knows how to help you. We'll talk about that in a second. Do you have KPIs in your life? Have you issued, listen, not only KPI, but SLAs. SLA stands for service level agreements. In other words, have you issued a service level agreement to your customer? A service level agreement means that your customer can expect certain things. The service level agreement means that if you call me, I'll respond within 24 hours. If you need me, I will show up within 48 hours. If you uh, need help, I will uh, give you $25 to help you get. In other words, you know what you can expect from me in our service friendship service level agreement. I'm not going to backstab you. You can trust that. I'm not going to cheat you or steal from you when I'm in your house. You can trust that. I'm not going to take your truth that you told me in confidence and gossip it all over the world. The service level agreement that we have in our friendship lets you know what you can expect. So what I'm saying, the customer 
who gets your product of the gospel should not be afraid of you or your scales. They should feel safe in your presence. If people come to church and they don't feel safe in the church, then that is a problem. You need to adjust your service level agreement. Is anybody tracking? We measure because it's important to track data for change. Without measurement, you will not change. Without informative data, you will not change. And listen to me carefully. Listen to me carefully, Cousin Kevin. Some people haven't changed because they don't have the data to tell them they need to change. Have you ever met somebody who think they don't have a problem? That everybody else says they got a problem, but they don't think they do. They, in other words, they are not receiving the data that tells them they need to change. They think they're perfect. But sometimes, listen, no information can be deceptive. If nobody's telling you anything, don't assume you're perfect. It just means you're not getting any data. It could be that the software is broken. It could be that your friend who you're accountable to is sick, so you haven't heard from them. In other words, it could be that your boss is shy. They're not going to point it out to you. There are silence deceptions that make you think you're actually perfect when you are not. You need the data. Somebody say, I need the data. Let me go to the next one. Let me show you this. This is important. God measures us, so we should, in turn, measure our service. God is our example of who, of he who measures and weighs our lives. God is our example of he who measures and weighs our lives. 1 Samuel 2 and 3 in Proverbs 16, 2, I'm going to share in just a second, tells us that God weighs us. He puts us on the scale and he measures our actions and he measures our motives. He he measures our ways. He measures our spirit. We too must give attention to his business as he does to us. So if God takes attention to measure us, then we must take the attention to measure his business. I'm going to say it again. If God takes the attention to measure us, then we must take the attention to measure his business. Now, God weighs our actions, which is external. In other words, the stuff you do that people sees, he puts that on the weight. He puts that on the scale. But for those of you who think nobody saw it, God weighs your motives. So even if they don't see it, he measures your heart. You still busted. <laughs> you still busted. So, so, so let me let me show you this. Let me show you the scriptures. Let me share the scriptures with you. The Bible says in First Samuel two three, boast no more so very proudly like you all you know such and much. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth. Why? Why? For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and with Him, here it is, actions are. Weighed. Your actions are weighed. So look at the next verse. The next verse says in Proverbs 16, 2, all the ways of a man are clean in his own sight. Oh my God. Do you see how the Holy Spirit is hooking this up? All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. So in the first scripture, he weighed the actions. Here he weighs the motives. So this has something to say to the point of where, listen, he's saying, what he's saying is, He's saying, don't be so proud and don't be so arrogant. Don't be coming off like you got it all smell good. He says, God weighs your actions. And then he says, he says, all the ways 
seem right to a man. Do, do you get what I'm saying about how if you don't have data, you're actually walking in deception? James even says, be not hearers of the word, but doers also, because if you don't do the word, it's like uh, looking in a mirror and deceiving yourself. There's a level of deception when you don't have measuring tools in place. God, this is good. I'm going to get this tape myself. So listen, he weighs the actions and he weighs the motives to see if what you're doing and how you're living actually measures up to the value of profit. Is anybody tracking? All right, let's go to the next slide. Let me show you this. Measuring in business works like this. I got to move. Measuring in business works like this. It's much like scales. Listen to this. Now, this is how measuring is done in business. As we lead in the family business, as we lead in the family business, we have to all learn the proper way to measure. All right? So in your franchisee, we have to learn the proper way to measure. Take note of these business points. Let me show you first the first point. Number one, no one is perfect. Get that in your psyche, all right? So those of you who are sitting there thinking that, well, you put a measurement tool up next to me, you ain't going to find nothing. Eh, just like on Family Feud, strike one and eh, strike two and eh, strike three. You got it twisted, boo. No one is perfect, which means something is going to need attention in your life. Right now, just take a moment. Here it is. Right now, Wendy, just put your hand on your heart and say, I'm not perfect. Go on and admit it. I'm not perfect. Somebody ought to look at their husband and say, I'm not perfect. Just tell the truth. I'm not perfect. Stop acting. Stop faking and perpetrating. You are not perfect. This is the way this is the way businesses should function. This is how you measure in business. No business is perfect. Your franchise will not be perfect. Your ministry is not perfect. This ministry is not perfect. This pastor is not perfect. All are imperfect. So watch this now. So you measure to determine the percent, the percentage of imperfection, not measuring to get the percentage of what is perfect. So when we put tools in our life, we're measuring to find out what percentage is not working, not to gloat about what is working. So 75% of your life is good, but 25% is bad. So you put the tools in place to correct the 25% while maintaining the 75% good, keep that going, but you don't want to, you don't want to, uh, you don't want to focus on the 25%, uh, on the 75%. You want to focus on the 25%. So learn to do something. Now listen to this carefully. Learn to do something with the 25% of your life that is causing you to fail. Now, this is what it is. Watch this now. You got 75% that you, listen, you're ignoring the 25 because you think 75% is passing. 80% is passing. I ain't got nothing to worry about. God is saying, I'm holding you accountable for the 20% that is not correct. And just because you're doing well doesn't mean I'm not measuring you for the area that is not doing well. Now, I've gonna, I'm going to give you this one. I'm going to give you this one. I'm going to give you this one, Vicky. Listen, sometimes refunding a person their money and letting them go as a customer is a way of correcting the 25% as well. What I'm trying to say is some people try to save everything that's wrong. You try to save everything in 25% to fix the 25%. Sometimes when I was in business as an executive, 
there were some customers who were nothing but trouble. No matter what you did to try to satisfy them, they would never be satisfied. The best thing to do is to refund them their money and not allow them to be a customer anymore. Thank you. There's a biz- Here's a referral. Here's a company that does the same thing we do. Down the street, go and be a customer to them. Some people are not your customers. Remember we learned, learn your audience. So sometimes that 25% of your life is not something for you to fix, but it's something for you to get rid of. I'm gonna have to say that again. Sometimes the 25% is not something for you to fix, but it's something for you to get rid of. Ah, that's all right. I gotta move on. Let me show then number two. No one is perfect, but number two, use unbiased tools. You wanna use unbiased tools. In other words, establish scales or tools that are unbiased. Don't cheat with your tools. Don't get tools. Listen, here's what I mean by cheating. Don't get tools that make your 75% better by hurting the 25%. In other words, watch this now. You do everything you can to boost up the 75%. All of your attention is on the 75% and your scale is unjust because you're neglecting the 25%. Most people live that way. You live for who's appreciating you. You you gather to the applause. You run where people are stroking you. You run to those who like you and everybody who everybody who agrees with you, you're friends with. But you're ignoring the people who challenge you. You ignore the people who question your motive. You ignore the hard friendships. You ignore the confrontations and the conflict of family members and co-workers. And God is, ah, God dog it. God is saying by doing that, your scales are unjust. They are unbiased and they are biased. In other words, you need to use unbiased tools, which means you treat the people who treat you well, just as well as you treat the people who don't treat you well. If you love the people who applaud you, love the people who don't. When Jesus walked down the Via Della Rosa, when he was coming into Jerusalem and some said crucify him and some said Hosanna, he loved both of them the same way. He went to the cross and died for both of them. Do you get what I'm saying? You have to be a Christian for both the type of people in your life. In other words, don't be a schemer to make you look better than uh, some some people live Photoshop lives where you Photoshop your life when it's not really true. God bless Khloe Kardashian. I know she's been having a little trouble online about this picture that came up. She's right, you know, if I didn't put the picture up, you shouldn't put it up or whatever. But people were talking about it was Photoshop. In other words, it looks like it's an image that that is not real. You don't want to live a Photoshop life. In other words, a Photoshop life means you live a life that caters only to certain things. In other words, listen, there are some Christians who live like they Christians and they lying because the real deal is they act like a Christian. Oh, Shanda, glory, hallelujah. They talk this way. And then when they get home, they put the cigar in their mouth, put up the drink, put up the Hennessy on the table. And then they start because ain't nobody watching. I'm telling you that those are unjust scales. They, that is a biased perspective. So in other words, watch this. That life is lived based on catering to Christians. When you live like you only want to deal with Christians, oh, I can't go to the baby shower because they will be smoking and getting high. 
your scales are biased. You cannot live a life only for church. You cannot live a life only for godly events and circumstances. You must go to the hard stuff. You must go to the stuff that you don't want to go to. You must go to the gym when you don't want to go because you say them scales be lying on you and they ain't. You lie to yourself. My point is, don't live a biased life to where the left side of your scale is Christian and you treat Christians one way and the unsaved side on the right side of your scale is for unsaved people and you treat them a different way. What's wrong with you? Stop that. God don't do that. He don't come up to people and like, well, you saved so you get a perk in a minute. He loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son. Never mind. I'm getting preachy right there. That's unfair measuring and tools need to measure as actions or, or sections or markers. Have you ever been on the highway and you see marker one, 10 miles and marker two, 20 miles, marker three, 30 miles. So here's what's a benefit for having these tools in your life. Put tools in your life where they become markers. They help you show progress. I like when I used to drive up north and I'd be, and you know, you get sleepy. You'd be like, how much farther? How many more miles on the five? How many more days in March? No, I used to, and I would look at the markers. And when I look at the markers and said, just 50 more miles to Vegas or 50 more miles to San Jose. When I would drive, that marker would give me the push I needed. Say, you got, you got this PC. You got this gone 50 more miles. These markers help to show you your progress. Don't lose your momentum and your inspiration with living a life with no markers. You got nothing to tell you you almost there. How dare you not come to church or be to service and your pastor's preaching all this stuff into you. What he's telling to you is that you're making progress. Good job. Hallelujah. Keep going. I'm your coach. I'm rooting you on. Hey, hey. But to be at home, sleep in the bed every week, month after month, you've got no markers indicating that you're making progress. So why even get out of bed? Exactly. That's why you're a lump loaf sitting there doing nothing for Jesus because you got no motivation. Let me go to the last one. This is all still in business and we'll get out of this. Celebrate your corrections. Celebrate your corrections. This is what businesses do. They celebrate corrections, not the findings. We don't celebrate what we found to be wrong. We only celebrate when we get it checked, when we get it corrected. So once your tools are in place and they report, you celebrate the portion corrected, not just the portion that was already working. So in other words, some of us come to church and you hear the word and you hear what needs to be changed, but you don't change. So you still can't celebrate just because the service told you that you have this problem. You can only celebrate when you've made the correction. Luke for 15 and 10 talks about the angels uh, who celebrate in heaven when one soul is found rather than the 99 that are already in heaven. In other words, the point is God saved this one sheep. The shepherd found the one lamb that was lost 
that's cause for celebration. Well, what about the 99? Well, what about the 99? They're already in there. My point is you celebrate when there is change. I'm setting you up. I'm setting you up, Sharon. Listen, so our joy, watch this now. Listen, watch this now. You can only celebrate when there's correction. So our joy, watch this, in praise, in worship, when we come to church is based on what changes in our lives, not what is already established in our lives. Watch this, I'm gonna flip it on you. Listen, that's why some people don't have a praise because nothing has changed. It's hard to praise and worship when all you got to worship him for is the same stuff that happened 10 years ago. But when I enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise, I just have to think about yesterday. I have to think about an hour ago when God did something new in my life and it has exacted change. Ah, God, I came to church last week and the pastor pointed out some flaws. Well, I worked on it Wednesday and Thursday and I can see the progress. So I now I can't wait like the psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. In other words, I can't wait for the praise and worship because I've got a reason to shout because my praise and my celebration is based on the changes in my life. I've made, anybody made any corrections in your life? If you make corrections, then you ought to have a praise. In other words, when you keep growing, you'll keep praising. Oh, I'm preaching some, some quotables. People who don't measure, don't praise. Ah, I'm talking now. People who don't grow, don't shout. People who, ah, that's all right. That's why you sit there and you just watch the screen and you do this and you, because you aren't changing. But people, ooh, change. Uh, That's why Tremaine Hawkins say a change. What does she call it? A wonderful change has come over me. Don't mess with me when I start talking about how I've changed. Anybody change? In other words, you old saints used to say, I'm not what I used to be. I'm not what I'm doing destined to be, but every day I'm growing in God's grace. So therefore I will praise him. I will shout hallelujah. I will bless his name. I will extol him and honor him. I will cry out majesty, dominion and power belongs unto him. Why? Because I'm changing. (laughs) Because I'm taking his word in and I'm doing something about it. I've been measuring my life. I've been evaluating my life. I've taken the criticism of my wife and I've looked at what she said and instead of being proud and puffy I made the adjustment I calmed it down I stopped doing this it doesn't she doesn't like it make the change boo the boss doesn't like it make the change the church doesn't like make God doesn't like make the change and then when you get into the house of God little Ben that's when you shout and you give God glory and you give him praise because you've made some adjustments. Woo! If you look at me closely, I've made some adjustments. My sister, my family can look at me. I ain't perfect, but I've made some adjustments. Has anybody made some? Can your family see the adjustments in your life? That's why your friends can't understand why you praising and why you're all excited because they don't understand the changes that I gotta move on. Move on, PC. I wanna stay there for a minute. Let me, let me get this out of here. Listen, so then, and therefore, when you get in your business, if you're going to be in business, then be all in. Somebody say, I'm all in. I'm all in. If you're going to be in business, then be all in. We giving you 
business rules for measuring. But now let's look at a biblical text that I believe is going to give some admonitions exactly to what I've given you through these business texts. I want to look at 1 Timothy 4, 15 and 16, and I want to share this powerful passage with you. You ought to make a note of this, put it on your desk, get your little out paint cut out of this, and make sure that you remind yourself of how significant this passage is. Let me read this scripture to you. The text says, practice these things. Practice, and I've I've highlighted the word that we're going to focus on. Practice these things. Well, what are these things? These teachings, these laws, the product. Practice the product. Measure the product. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see, there it is, your progress. And then the next verse says, keep a close watch, close watch on yourself and on the teaching, the product. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Ah, God, let me give you a little insight on this for a moment. I want to talk about this word practice. Um, Practice, in other words, practice what you preach. Come on, uh, Barry White, practice. That used to be my favorite song, practice uh, what you preach. So in other words, in other words, listen, in other words, practice the thing you're selling. Practice the product that you're offering to people. Practice this. Measure your self by what you're trying to measure other people by. That's why children say, well, mama, you don't do it. You don't, listen, you, listen, you're not a good teacher if you can't model what you're teaching to other people. So the word for practice in the Greek there means it means take care of. It means manage. It means to monitor it. When I was a support manager, I had to look at all these different screens to be able to monitor the product. Who is satisfied? Are we answering calls? Are the texts playing around? Are we able to produce the numbers? Are we answering 200 tickets a week or 30 tickets? That's a problem if we're answering 30 tickets and I got 15 staff members who ought to be able to answer a call. The term, the Greek term is melataho, uh, uh, melato, uh, give attention to, care for, practice, In other words, think of ways to care for it. In other words, look at your life and say, how can I get better? In other words, meditation as in preparing for speech. This word is used, practice. In other words, practice it. Practice your speech. Practice. In other words, meditate. Go over your lines. In other words, if you're going to live as a Christian, go over your lines. Act like the word. Meditate on the word. Think about ways that you can live the word. Thinking of what you will say, how to say it. When I go on my speeches, I used to practice my speech. Mama said, practice your speech boy you I want to go outside no go out go and practice your speech before you go outside I had four minutes my oratorical speeches had a maximum of four minutes I could not go over or I would be disqualified and I had to practice staying in the four minutes which means I had to get a rhythm of where I knew I needed to be by the second paragraph I knew I needed to be at a minute and 32 seconds and this is how you know in your life if you're making progress you have begun to measure and evaluate are you where you should be 
at this point in your life. See yourself as a Christian first, ministry before personal. And that's the problem. So many of you are working on everything else in your life. You're working on buying a new purse. You're working on buying a new house. You're working on buying a new car. You give too much attention to the material in your life. And God says, give more attention to the gospel in your life. So here's what I want you to understand. You live for God first. And here's what it is. This is what it is, little Ben. This is what it is. When you see your life as a ministry, in other words, stop stop making a bifurcation between ministry and your life. When you see your life as a ministry, then everything is encompassed in your walk with God. It's easier to monitor your life when you see your life as your ministry. I got to go to the next word. The next word says immense. Immerse yourself in them. Immerse. Put that back on the screen real quick. Immerse yourself in them. So in other words, the practicings, the teachings you believe in, what does he say? He says, immerse yourself in them. Anybody know what immersion is? That means you get into it. You step down into it. You step down into the water. Okay. In other words, you be in the things that you talk about. In other words, be in the word that you speak to others. Be in the religion that you live before others. Literally immerse yourself into the things that you are thinking about so as to see yourself in them. Contemplate as if you are in the situation yourself. So don't just preach to people, PC, like they are projects and people who are getting the word. See yourself in the word that you are preaching to them. In other words, first practice it on you and then bring it to them. And I guarantee you the impact is greater on people's lives when you immerse yourself in what you try to present to other people. Have you ever had a broke person come to try to be your financial advisor? Boy, you better get up out of here. I'm talking about how I can make millions and you walking out to a car that barely starts and dents all in it and the window won't even roll down. Get up out of my face. You will take counsel and advice from people who have first practiced what they're trying to instill in you. This way, listen, if you're in it, if you're in it, people will see the progress in you. Put that verse back on the screen. It says, immerse yourself in them so that all may see what? Your progress. Don't go trying to tell people what they should do. Don't tell people how they should live. Show people how how you living? Oh, I slapped it on you. Oh, you got a red mark on your face on that one. <laughs> progress then, he says, so that they see your progress. Progress is profit. Progress is advancement. To lengthen out by hammering. In other words, the word says, listen, the, the metal is the metal is, is lengthened when I slam it. When, when me and my Mella used to work for Buffums in Manhattan Beach, you know, sometimes the ladies would put on these shoes and they was a little tight. And they say, we, that's all right, ma'am. We're trying to sell that shoe. You hear me? We're going to tell them anything. I ain't going to say that, but it, we tell them anything. It don't matter. And, and, and so put your foot in there. We said, ma'am, we can stretch it. We can make it stretch. And so we take the shoe in the back and we put it on the machine and we start beating the leather. You know, if you beat leather enough, it's stretching. I can't talk it. And so that's why God allows trials because the pressure on your life, the pressure on your life causes you to stretch Woo! and you lengthen, which means progress. Woo. Any kind of prayer came through a trial, but I moved forward. In other words, I advanced. You, you ain't never been short, but I've been short. I was four feet 11 in the 12th grade. But let me tell you something. I was something really excited when I went to the doctor and the doctor said, you grew an inch. Get dog it. Woo. Woo. 
you couldn't tell me nothing. In other words, I had made progress. I was still growing when I was in junior college. I'm telling somebody my business. I was still growing at 18 and 19 years old. You hear me? I had a little something going on. I don't know what happened in the jeans, Opal and Cherry, but something was going on, but I was still growing. In other words, I could see my growth as progress, but God allows the hammering in your life. Somebody say there's a, there's a forger. There's a, 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 a smither who's, uh, who, who is able to hammer in your life like a metal. In other words, to bring advancement. In other words, when you immerse yourself in progress, progress comes by work, baby. You're not just going to wake up and say, oh, I'm further along. No, God is going to require of you to measure it. And then the third one, go back to this scripture. The third one says, keep a close watch on yourself. Keep a close watch on you. Keep a close watch on you, Shana. Keep a close watch on you, Lisa. Listen, the word for keep a close watch is epeko is a peco. Keep a close watch. A peco, keep close watch on you to have or to hold. In other words, hold on to it. Give attention to it as it is directly in your hands in front of your face to be in a continuous state of readiness to react. In other words, keep your teaching close to you so that if anything changes, you're ready to react. We used to have what was called a 24-7 help desk, meaning that you were always on call. If anything went down, Somebody had to respond. God says, you never know when I might bless you. It might be at 2 a.m. in the morning while you listening to our KKLA radio station. And I decide to make a change in your life. He says, always be sitting on ready. In other words, have the word close enough to you so that whenever God moves, there's a change that you're ready to respond to. Some of us miss the change because we're not paying attention to the God of our lives. God. I'm preaching here. I watched uh, just a little bit of Say Yes to the Dress uh, this morning, and uh, the lady came in, and she said, I have to have my little dog with me everywhere I go, <laughs> and she would not leave the dog, and, the, and so the, the the fashioner who said, he said, well, do you know, you want to put the dog on your dress? Yes, I do. The dog goes everywhere. Do you know the quality and the expensiveness of this dress? She said, yes, I know it, but I got to have my dog, so she put the dog on the trail of the train and she was walking with the dog while the dog was on the back of her train. Why? She wanted to be ready. If anything happened to her dog, she could respond. Is anybody walking with God close enough so that if anything happens, you're ready to respond? Where's your Bible at? When you at work, do you have a word close by? Do you have a Holy Spirit close by? Do you have a friend? You can phone a friend like how to be a billionaire. Can I call a friend? Can I call? Do you have anybody in your life who can give you spiritual counsel and advice and a shot's notice that you don't have to react emotionally to everything and get yourself in a deeper trouble, but you've got things. Ah, there they are. Tools, measurement, processes, and practices in place to help you make. I got to move on. Oh, Ben, I'm running out of time. But listen, keep it close to you so you're in a connection. And then the last word of that, look at the text. Put it back up there. The verse says, persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. In other words, you know what the word persist means. Epineo. Epineo means stick at it. Stay with it. Continue in it. Remain at it. Don't leave the teaching. Don't give up on the franchise. The thing you're doing or you're working on, stick with it. This is true. Why? Because sometimes 
it takes a while to get data. Do you know how everybody was scared about the vaccine? Because when they were running the trials, they didn't have enough people who tested it. <laughs> so we don't have enough data to say if it's effective or not. Got dogging. <laughs> now I got data for you, baby, that works, Poppy. Look at this here. I can go all the way back to Abraham. <laughs> and the data worked for Abraham. Abraham was 100 years old, but God said, you're going to have a child. <laughs> and the miracle worked. In other words, there's data for that. There's data for Moses crossing the Red Sea when he just stretched forth his staff. There's data for that. There's data for Joshua who broke down the walls of Jericho. I'm telling you, there's data for that. There's data for Daniel in the lion's den. There's data. There's data for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. There's data all throughout scripture to show you that there's enough information, which means you don't have to wait to see if the gospel works. This is not a vaccine where we don't have clinical trials. The FDA has not issued us an emergency status. We are bona fide. We are bona fide sin vaccinators. We have the blood of Jesus Christ and it washes and makes people whole. And you don't have to get a clinical trial to apply the blood of Jesus. All the blood, all the blood that washes me and makes me whole. The payoff for not quitting. I got to let you see this text. Put it back on the screen. It says, if you persist, if you stick with it, you will save both yourself and your customer. You will save. What does that word save means? It means the payoff for not quitting is that the thing that keeps you able to do what you do is faithful. In other words, when you work out, watch this, your your payoff for working out is being healthy enough to keep working out. Ah, you're going to miss it. So whenever you give the gospel to somebody, they're getting saved, saves you so you can keep saving other people. You're going to miss it. Ooh. In other words, when you give to the Lord, he gives back to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over in your bosom so that you can do what? Keep giving. Get dogged. What I'm trying to tell you is when you start living with measurements in place and you make the corrections that God shows you in your life, the payoff is the reciprocation of the thing that you've changed begins to work so you can keep doing what God called you to do with the 75% that is working. God dog it. So you're 25. Oh, there it is. There it is, Shana. There it is. That 25% moves out of the category of unsatisfied customer to satisfied customer. Ooh, and so the number keeps dwindling down and the number goes down. Now we have 20% problem. Now we have 15% problem. Why? Because you're making the correction and it's going into a new pool so you can keep doing something to make sure you satisfy the customer. So in doing so, you're going to save yourself and you're going to save your hearers. And that's a profit. So let me give you the conclusion. Here we are as we wrap this up. I just want to read you the verse, the same verses 14 and 15 and 16 that I just read you, but I'm going to put it in my own vernacular. And I just want to tell you that customer service saves businesses every day. And that's all we are. We are in the customer service business. We are in the customer soul saving business. Let me read this text to you. Put this on the screen. It says, take care of the product. That's what I would say. 
take care of the product and in them be. In other words, be in the product, sell the product, be in the product, take care of it so that of you, the progress will be evident to all. Everybody will see the progress in your own life and want to buy it. Hold tight to yourself and the product and stick with it no matter what. In doing so, you save yourself and the customer. That's just all it is. That's what it is, baby. This is if you treat the customer properly, that customer is coming back. But the only way you do that is by measuring which customers aren't satisfied. You can't get the customer to come back if you don't take care of them. I had a horrible experience with a company this week and I was not happy about it and it took the manager and the foreman to be able to come to me directly to restore my confidence to let them continue with the business. Most people focus on those who are satisfied but we must focus on those who aren't. Look at your life and find out who does not like you and target them. Look at your life and find out what is wrong and ask God to help you correct it and just because we're successful doesn't mean the small number of unsatisfied customers doesn't matter. It does matter. It matters that you can't smile at people. It matters that you're moody. It matters that you're too atypical. It matters that you can't get along with the people at your job. It matters that everybody keeps saying the same thing, that you got an attitude problem. You need to do something about the data that's coming into your life. So if I was writing a customer service mantra, or a policy or a manifesto it would look or read something like what I just read you so take care of these and be in them so that of you the progress will be evident to all it's evident from you that being said hold on to you like your life depends on it keep the bible close keep the teachings close let them be in your car let them be at your job let it be in your bedroom put a bible by the toilet so the prophet can be evident stay with it stick with it man or woman of God because in doing so you shall be saved and those who hear and take of your product will be saved as well. You save the customer's life. The satisfied customer is a growing believer. An unsatisfied customer is an unsaved or backslider. In other words, so when you live your life, you don't live only for growing believers. I want to preach to the unsaved. I got a word for the Alizé drinker. I I got a word for the 40-ouncer. I got a word for the sherm smoker. I don't know if they smoke sherm anymore, but meth and all the other drugs or what? I got a word for you too. I got a word for the red rag, for the blue rag, for the gangster. I got a word for all of you out there. I got it for you because the word and the gospel is not just for saved folk. It's for the unsaved and for people who have backslidden. There are a lot of gangsters who grew up in church, but have just lost their way. And I came to tell you, God still has saved you. You're not lost. You're just off the road. And I'm being a measuring tool to say, get back on track. Get your life together. Pray again. Read your Bible. It does make a difference. God weighs and measures so he knows how to adjust your life. Our cooperation allows our God to love, our God of love to remedy not only the ills in our lives, but the ills in our customers as well. When we allow God to measure us, then we allow God to change us so we in turn can change the people we refresh in our ministry towards them. Let's allow God to change us so that we can make the changes in our lives to show those changes before other people. All I'm saying, preachy, is to care enough 
enough about others to know what's going on with them so that when you give it to God, he answers accordingly. In other words, I ought to study my wife. I ought to know what she's painting about. Even if she says, I don't know, I can't tell you right now. I ought to have tools in place that help me understand how to pray. And even when the Bible says you don't know how to pray, says the spirit of the living God will pray with groanings which cannot even be uttered. In other words, we want to make sure we're getting accurate data before God because he makes the changes based on our data. God dug it. I believe God has answered many of my prayers because I care about the people I'm praying for. When I send people a message and I ask them, how's your brother doing? How's your husband doing? I'm asking questions because I'm taking measurement. In other words, I'm looking to see how to tell God so he can, but you want to be sedative and I don't want to tell the detail. That's fine. Don't tell me the detail. But when you don't give data, you don't give information, I can't give specifics to God. Because I care about people, I follow up and I ask people, how's your husband doing? How's your friend doing? How's your brother doing? Why? Because I need to get the data to heaven. I need to know how to pray. Try to measure up and weigh in this week. All I'm saying is measure up, weigh in. In other words, mess up and win. That's all I'm saying. Mess up enough to let God measure you to correct it so you can win. Measure up, weigh in, mess up and win. Try to measure up and weigh in this week and see if you don't see a difference. I'm PC and that's all I've got.